Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club Podcast, where every month we look at stuff in movies and we talk about movies. But today is our bonus episode. Miss Boo? Well, today we're talking about a movie that we both haven't seen, which is kind of weird, because usually we come into this, we've seen the movie, but today we're getting some help from a friend. Brandon, why don't you introduce yourself? And I want you to tell us, where did you find this movie? Howdy. Um, Brandon's from Texas. Yes. How'd I find this movie? I don't know. I was doing an Orson Welles dig one year. As you do. As as you do. Every film nerd has to do at least one in their life. Yeah, yeah. I, I did a digging of Orson Welles, and uh, this is the only one that's not talked about, so that's why I, you know, watched it many a times. All right. And uh, that movie is The Stranger, 1946. It's his third film? Third film, and this is... Three years after The Magnificent Abersons, mm-hmm. and this was essentially his version of a studio film. So um, I'm really curious about about that because Orson Welles has the reputation of the art house cinema Jesus God person. Pretty much he's made, you know, Citizen Kane, Magnificent Amberson, Evis for Fake, Chimes at Midnight. All of those are really like auteur driven. Yeah. Give me money and I'll do whatever I want. And this is his only pure studio film or is there a few uh, other ones you have touch of evil um would be considered one but this is like the main one where he gave up pretty much creative licensing at the end like editing he gave that final um say to the studio this was his way of being like guys i can work with you fellas no budget i i, I got this i don't i don't think that really worked out for orson wells right no because i guess what happened was at the end of the production the studio backed out on giving him his movie deal they were afraid the movie was gonna make money so they told orson hey buddy sorry about it so studios have always been assholes right wow who would have thought studios would have been assholes but i'm gonna let everybody know what the hell this movie is about because yeah, yeah, break it down because odds are no one's seen this movie absolutely not absolutely not it's not a, a soul no it, it's on public domain so there's not too many um releases all right so here's, here's the back of the box i wrote down it'll you sound... actually found it I found Wikipedia. It's oh, okay. basically the back of the box of the internet. I guess. So, The Stranger is a 1946 American thriller film noir directed and co-written by Orson Welles, starring Edward G. Robinson, Loretta Young, and Orson Welles. It centers on a war crimes investigator tracking down a high-ranking Nazi fugitive to a Connecticut college town just at the war's end. This film was nominated for the Golden Lion at the 8th Venice International Film Festival, and screenwriter Victor Trevis, 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 Vic, uh, received an Oscar nomination for Best Story. It may not have the prestige of Citizen Kane, but this film still shows Wells as a master of the cinematic craft. <laughs> that That's on the Wikipedia. They yes. still hi- have to mention Citizen Kane whenever yes. they talk about Wells. What's funny about it is that the initial story was the the writer, and then, as Orson does, he comes in and rewrites the entire story. So, the guy got credit for Orson's story, although, you know, because the Screen Actors, the Screenwriters Guild, the way the the credits work with uh, awards and shit. Whoever started the script gets gets the the, credit. Exactly. So, I, uh... Because it was nominated for Best Screenplay for the Academy Awards that year. Is every Wells film of this mm, era gets nominated? It gets nominated for something, but by this time he gets the uh, the stigma of being a pariah, someone that doesn't work well with others, over budget. Yeah. It, it shoots him in the foot when it comes to critical reception and awards. Which is kind of weird because... He was, gets shot in the shoulder in the movie? He's shot in the shoulder, stabbed yeah. in the stomach, falls off a clock tower. He, get, he gets run through the ringer in this movie. And the real life gets shot in the foot. Yeah. Mm. Um. So... Brandon, you brought this movie to the to the table, yeah. and I'm kind of curious. Out of all the Orson Welles filmography, <laughs> yeah, Kane, Ambersons, F is for Fake, Chimes at Midnight, we could go on a little bit more. Yeah. Why the Stranger specifically? I think this is like the more most accessible film of his. Yeah. Besides F for F is for Fake, this mm-hmm. is his most accessible film. Because even things like uh, Touch of Evil, which is supposed to be a little more studio, it's too. It's too artsy. This one, you can just turn on for somebody. Somebody? <laughs> yeah, you can just turn on t- to somebody. And uh, what I like after the last few times, I've kind of realized the story itself is 
the way he tells a story is very much feels more modern than movies of that era. The way the he builds up the you know the thrill, the way it's told, you know, uh, his character trying to hide the fact that he's a Nazi, and then when you know when his wife finds out he's a Nazi, the way he manipulates her into believing. Oh, I may believe in that, but really, I'm not as big of a monster as you think I am because this, this, and this. Which, I think that's the thing about Orson Welles that everyone can pretty much agree on, is all of his films feel incredibly modern. They do not feel like they were made in the 40s or the 50s or whatever. They feel like they're 10 plus years ahead of their time. The the only one that will get that stigma, like feeling kind of cliche, is Citizen Kane. But that's because a it, lot of... It created all the cliches. Well, not created all of it, but it perfected a lot of them. Like, the cliches were there, but he kind of grabbed these pieces. Not He didn't know what he didn't know. And that's why, you know, when your first movie is Citizen Kane, everything else will be judged to that. That's the cloud that hangs over his entire career is Citizen Kane. Yeah. Right? Definitely. But, uh, Miss Boo, so this is... Is this your first Orson Welles film? I've seen Citizen Kane before. Long movie. Citizen Kane ain't that long. It's what, like two hours? Yeah, but the the way that the story has been kind of copied throughout that it feels, you know, I've seen this before. Mm-hmm. I've seen all these camera, the, the way it's shot before. It's been imitated so much that when you see the, the origin of all that imitation, it's like, what's so special about it? Yeah. But, uh, Miss Boo, I wanted to ask you. What what was your standout moment of The Stranger? Oh, I, I hope it's the same one I have. I, I wrote my favorite scene down, like, as it was happening. I'm I, like, this is so good. I hope it's the same one I have. Because right. I'll be mad at Becky, because... You're going to be mad at me? Yeah. I mean, it's got to be the climax. It's got to be where she finally figures out he is bad. And it's just him, you know, I was going to kill you. And you kind of ruined my plans. Okay. That's my second favorite. I'm not oh, okay. so mad at okay. you. Okay, okay. I'm also lining up with her on that one. It, I had a toss-up between um, that scene and uh, my favorite. Mine was the the bell tower finale, mm-hmm. where it's that shot in darkness, and he starts begging. He's like, "It wasn't me. I was just following orders." And I'm like, "You, you are literally every every well, nazi yeah, in his, that moment." His character is supposed to be what is it? What is it? Um, what's the Nazi doctor? Uh, it it was he, like Mangala. He's but supposed he, to be like a Mangala mm-hmm. um, hybrid of some other Nazi higher ups. But that was my favorite. That whole climactic shot because it's all it's all like shadowy. Falls off the bell yeah, tower. It's, it's super good. Yeah. But uh, what what is yours? It's not so epic as those, or as you know. But it's um when he's sitting down with his uh, wife, right? And like all you see is the shot of her, and he's explaining to her why he isn't as evil as they say, and you mm-hmm. just see his hands as he's you know. Yeah. It's all just in movement and acting. He his hands are in light still, you know. Whatever's shown still being lit. And then when he picks her up, he has that menacing dark shadow over his face. You know, got that kind of a little bit. Oh, that that perfect silhouette. That perfect silhouette of like, hey, she thinks I'm alright, but really my intentions are all deep. That's just my favorite. Yeah. The movie is beautiful. There are so many like noiry silhouette shadows being worked on in this movie. It's good storytelling because you know it's like movies that we've seen now. Um, Return of the Jedi with you know Luke being in black the whole time, and then at the very end you get yeah. the flip of the collar and you see the light side in there, and that's what we get with him where. You know, he's trying to be, you know, oh, I'm your husband, you know, exactly. trust me, love me. And you get that scene and it's just, he's the bad guy. And I want to say that's the first time you see him in like deep shadow the entire yeah. movie. Before up until that point, it's either like, you know, lightly shadowed. But for the main part, he's always in the light because everyone's believing that facade of history teacher just happens to have a weird opinion of the Germans. I mean, even the murder is committed in broad daylight. Exactly. Also, that that murder that he does, where it's his uh his Nazi friend finds him, and it's all that it's a one take. It's like four and a half minutes Uncut. long of him just snuffing this man, yeah, yeah, with his bare hands. Okay, so it's interesting because it it releases in forty six or forty seven, yeah. and it's right after the war, and he is already trying to deal with Nazis, the Holocaust, like the the mm-hmm. crimes of these men. Like we see real like yeah. Holocaust footage in the movie. And that's the first time it's ever used in a movie. Yeah. Which, which is wild cuz we're still in like hardcore like production code stuff where you can't even show like married couples in bed together and they're showing like Holocaust footage in this. Well, you know, it was right after, you know, when everyone's like, "Oh, the Nazis were kind of, you know, fucked up." 
because those documentaries had just come out and people were starting to realize, oh, it was even worse than we initially thought. And those were probably reels that they would have seen in between double features exactly. of the movie. So, you know, if it's a thing, if you're already showing it at the movies, why it not put be it into right. a movie? Yeah. yeah. It's more, more or less informational, I guess, mm-hmm. would be the way they probably sell it to the production quote authority. Hmm. Well, um, Brandon, so we talked about a lot about like the little bits and yeah. parts of strangers we like, but where do you want to go with this? I mean, you brought it to the table. I did. Where, what, what is the thing so, you want to talk about? So this this is my my pitch about strangers, right? Mm-hmm. I want to say it, it's more or less one of those uh old movies from old Hollywood that still you know you can play. The storytelling elements are modern, even if you want to take it like the political aspect of hidden Nazis in society. Yeah, you know even that. But the way it's just cut together, like it's the movie Orson Welles movie I can turn on and kind of just not think about it. Just the way he uh, he wrote it, the performances, I love them all, even the detective. Oh, Edward G. It, Robinson? He's great. He's great. And I know it, it reminds me of something Dean would try to write and cast. Oh. That oh, role. I, that role specifically. I loved Edward G. Robinson in this movie. I'm just hap- I'm just so happy to see him. I really wish he was doing his gangster voice. Being like, look here, she, you yeah. nasty. That's what I was waiting for. I'm like, he's not going to do the voice? No. No, he's a detective, not a gangster. I know, but you see him you always want to see that performance yeah but he does a really good job in no it's great job um everyone in this movie does a fantastic job yeah it really blows my mind when you see orson wells as an actor and you're like oh oh yeah he's one of the most naturalistic actors of the 40s and 50s and it, not just a great director and it, it's it's funny because i think this is one of the last films you get to see you know skinny orson yeah this is <laughs> like when orson is like essentially the uh as it would be equivalent He's still in game shape. Yeah, he's still in game shape. Like, uh, give me an equivalent of today. Like, young Orson would be the equivalent of... Uh, Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe. A young Russell Crowe, you know, just great looking. And then, all of a sudden... Food's good. Food's really good, especially... man. Especially when you can get your own personal table at a wonderful restaurant in Los Angeles and have business meetings there every day. You become a, a plump fella. I I feel really bad for Russell Crowe because they're make they're finally making Gladiator two. Ridley Scott's going back to it, and they're like, "Hey, Russell Crowe, are you gonna give? Are you gonna come back to the movie?" And he's like, "Look at me, I cannot fit in armor am, anymore. I am dead." Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, "You're like you, you did not see the end of the movie, is what you're telling me, sir." Gladiator two resurrection. Oh, that will be great. No. It'll be like Aliens Resurrection, Halloween Resurrections, masterpieces no, no, of no, the no, sequels. No, no. You're missing it. He's a gladiator in the afterlife. Those beautiful uh-huh. hay fields are under threat. <laughs> this no, is... it's just two hours of him walking through the hay fields yeah. for the ASMR. Oh. With the Man of Steel theme as he's walking through the hay fields. <laughs> okay, now I know that's like, that sounds ridiculous, but if Terrence Malick made that movie of Russell Crowe walking through a hay field, it might get an Oscar nomination. It'd be the movie that killed the Western. Days <laughs> Days of Heaven, I think it was. I, I think it was. Days of Heaven or Gates of Heaven? Days of Heaven. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is also weird thinking about it because it's like Orson Welles in the ninth, the new Hollywood era, he yeah. didn't release anything no. crazy, F right? F is for fake. He had a short film that was funded by one of those foreign countries in Europe. One, one of those foreign countries it, it, over there. It, it's weird because he'll get like he'll get a financing from a country's like cultural fund. Mm. That's how he would make his later films during the the new Hollywood period, like The Immortal. It's his only film in color besides a uh, Evans for Fake, right? Besides that one, but like uh, Other Side of the Wind. Okay, Other Side of the Wind, because we're talking about The Stranger, which is like, oh, this is his most studio film. Yeah, and then Other Side of the Wind is his most like independent guys we're just gonna shoot on a weekend when we got some time like how do you feel about that dichotomy of wells as a as an auteur you know i think his career is a little bit like backwards right Mm -hmm. he starts off at a pinnacle for most people citizen king would be like towards the like their peak of their career right you've worked up and here we are and he did it backwards he did it kind of i mean you know he had training in theater so he knew how to do storytelling his radio stuff right and then he hits Citizen Kane because he doesn't know what's possible or what is. He doesn't know the rules, the so rules, he's breaking them as the, he's the going. The societal rules of film at that time. Like, he doesn't know. It, and he has his cinematographer that's willing to, you know, do anything. Like, what crazy ideas he can come up with. Yeah. And from there, he goes backwards, right? And he goes from polished to, like, sophomore. He's almost there. 
Then you get Stranger, which is like, if you flip them, you you see the arc. Like, oh, he's about to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's ramping up he's to ramping the masterpiece. Up. And as he goes down, he gets more artsy. Like, he's a young filmmaker backwards, right? He's like, I'm gonna just, I have all these ideas now. I'm just going to shoot them, and it's in my head, and I'm going to make it a thing. Yeah, he starts as, like, the master studio uh, director and devolves, or not devolves, or evolves into the master independent yeah, filmmaker. Yeah, exactly. He goes backwards. He goes backwards, which is, you know, a crazy thing to see, especially now. Like, back then, you're just like, man, Orson Welles, he's making those he's making those weird films again, <laughs> you know? Do you like Other Side of the Wind? I enjoy it. I mean, it's not a true um, Orson film, right? Because he never finished editing it, never finished shooting what he wanted to did he never finish i thought he finished shooting it but he never did any post on it uh i think it's a little bit of both like principal was done mm. they, there's still some secondary stuff um and then you know some legal stuff with funding took the the masters from him i gotcha and then i think after that you get f is for fake because he just wanted to make something quick get get his name back out there to yeah. get more cash and then nothing for like 10 years before he passed transformers his actual masterpiece, his greatest performance. <laughs> Again, we're I know it's hard to talk about like Orson Welles because he's yeah. he's on the Mount Rushmore, right? Weirdly, right? Because now he's he's been up there and so long that we kind of make fun of him because the things he does, the the drunk champagne. Oh, I love that commercial. His weight, brain from Pinky in the Brain, the critic show. He's become so, a parody of a great filmmaker. And now pe- cameos on I Love Lucy. Exactly. And now it, it's kind of become the this weird thing of we've mocked him so much now that I guess in a way his films kind of start losing credit, mm-hmm. especially around like certain circles. He's become a joke in itself because the way that a lot of the people that were making that content kind of grew up with Orson Welles at the end of his career. Mm-hmm. Fat Orson Welles. Mm-hmm. Drunk Orson Welles. I'm going to come show up to a commercial drunk, and then I'll dub my lines like a week later. Also, you go to any film school, and everyone's like, Citizen Kane, it's the best movie ever made, and everyone rolls their eyes because it it's to, like a preconceived notion It got, it at this got point. to the point where like, oh, we're going to take Citizen Kane off a number one spot. Yeah. Because we're just so sick of hearing about how it's the greatest thing ever since sliced bread. That is wild to me how he has been like reassessed to the point where he's become a parody and now everyone's just kind of sick of talking about him. Yeah, it's like the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) You talk about it so much and it's just like, oh, we can make fun of every story now and not take it as seriously. I mean, it's also a a stigma, too, where a lot of people are like, hey, you know, he was able to hit, you know, knock it out of the park the first time. So now all artists are like, "Okay, my product is going to get me, you know, their instant fame, instant fortune. And it's like, yeah. No, you, you don't get that every day, and well, that's what makes him special. He has two careers, right? His mm-hmm. studio career, and then he has the essentially pioneering independent filmmaking, funding yeah. your own project in an era where it was financially impossible to fund your own project. Yeah, Getting into tax trouble with the IRS because you're making money in other countries to fund your project but not paying the government for them. You know, in essence, he's 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 a pioneer in both, but we kind of forget the the latter part. Yeah, like Chimes at Midnight is technically a self-funded independent movie. He paid for everything. What the fuck? Yeah. Wait a minute, Chimes at Midnight. He that was all out of pocket. All out of pocket. Dude, that movie looks like it was like, and it's, it's one of the most expensive and Shakespeare movies and it's I've ever shot seen. over five years. Wow. He was cutting everything in his head, shooting it, and kind of having to keep mental notes of it. So a lot of his projects were shot or intercut, like, years at a time. Okay. Now, kind of back to The Stranger on, on that note. Yeah. The Stranger, it's like the only film he ever did that came in under budget and under time, right? Under schedule? Yeah, most definitely. So what would have happened if Orson Welles just bit the bullet and said, look, I'm not going to fucking Europe. I'm just going to make these studio noir films and just um, keep on keeping on. What do you have? Who was who the guy that directed um, The Man Who Would Be King? The, John Houston? John Houston. He'd have a John Houston career. I mean, that's a, not a bad career. Yeah. I mean, if he had played, you know. If he played ball. Played ball. So you you kind of see there is someone we can. John Houston, like, he directed films for a studio and then he got his. Orson Welles, I guess, you know, after Kane, after Ambersons, it's expected for him to be like, you know, I'm tired of this. Yeah. I played ball with you guys once. Strangers. Good movie. Yeah, really it, good. It, it made its money back. It's made its money film, back. It's the only film financially successful he ever made. And surprisingly, his least favorite of his films. 
because it he had no control of it. Yeah, you know, he he signed over control in order to direct it, and then he got promised what he got promised with RCA when he made Kane, and they took that all back. Hmm. And so, if I was him, I'd be like, "Fuck it! Like, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna just make shit for myself now." And also, like with the stranger, like there was like 30 minutes chopped out of the movie. Yeah, yeah. So that's why, like, some of the things, like the, uh, you know, the weird plot about the clock. Yeah. That that's kind of taken out because in his script, Nazis and clocks, mm-hmm. you know, all that, the connotations there. But with the editing, they're like, no, it's a noir. Now it's gonna become a thriller halfway through the movie. Meanwhile, he can't stop fixing clocks. Can't fix. Can't stop fixing clocks. It's gotta, like, gotta, it's like gotta, we need a little bit of context. I gotta there. fix the fix the problem. Yes, I, I think I, I have well, a final solution. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> well, here's the thing, because I picked up on the whole clock thing of he's trying to like rebuild his like own fascist Nazi ideology yeah. in America. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's working at a boys' school, right? And he's like, I just, as a, if I can just twist these young minds over, <laughs> yeah. I will create the false Reich. You, and you, then he'll finally get a German you, accent. You see it at in some the way the he, when he, when we actually get to see him open a lesson, right? Yeah. This is already like a quarter of the movie in. Just by the way he talks about the, oh, I can't remember the figure, but he gives a Germanic name mm-hmm. rather than the most common name. He introduces it as a Germanic name with the Germanic history as a way of like we're gonna kind of slowly and then his buddy comes in and kind of fucks it all up for him because when we first see him you know all the kids they love love him him, they want to hang out with him and he's like yeah i'm getting married in a few hours but maybe afterwards i'll come out and play we'll go run through the woods and it's like wow they really love this guy and he's feeling good marrying a supreme court justice's wife daughter daughter. that'd be weird if he was marrying her his wife if anyone can do it orson can (laughs) (sighs) i'm I've heard on more than one occasion people being like, Orson Welles, young Orson Welles, he could get it. Yeah. He's, he's a beautiful man with a deep, tenor voice. He's a good-looking guy. It's the voice, really. Uh, the, the voice sells it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he was married to what? Who was it? Uh, Rita Hayworth. Rita Hayworth. Which, bro. There you go. Orson can pull. He can sing. <laughs> he can write. Man could probably cook, as as, uh, as, as the weight determined yeah. later on. I mean, he's what every... Big guy with a four door wants to be actually. Oh my god, Orson Welles was the first neckbeard. No, no, he wasn't a neckbeard. Are you sure he? Have you seen the women that man pulled in mm-hmm. his fat age? See, he's what the neckbeards idealize. Exactly. They're like, I could be Orson Welles if I eat two steaks Orson, every meal. Orson clapped. <laughs> <laughs> oh lord. But back to the stranger. Yeah, yeah. The stranger. We kind of meander around it. Yeah, you know, it's there because Orson. You pick. You talk about an Orson Welles movie. You end up talking about Orson a lot, right? Yeah. Even with Citizen Kane, you talk about Citizen Kane. You can blow through it because everyone knows. Look at the angles. Look at that. Like this is. I feel like this is his most. Like he was pretty much accurate with everything in this movie. Like he thought of something. We're doing it, shooting it the most simplistic way. We're gonna do this, this, and this. I um, felt like this was his most Orson Welles movie. In a way, it's like you know, there's Orson Welles being. Orson Welles. Yeah. Directed I, by Orson Welles. Oh, Orson Welles is being Orson Welles, but, a hiding Nazi. Yes. Oh my Very God. accurate to the man. <laughs> uh, but no, I, 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 yes, Orson Welles, but he found a way to make it fit into something that's more digestible than his other movies where he would have more reign over, not whether over it get released, but when he was making it, he had more reign over that. But this kind of felt like he found a way to make himself digestible for everybody. Do you think Orson Welles is hard to get into. Oh yeah, really? Oh yeah, really? Absolutely. I don't. I don't think he's that hard. When you to get watch into. Citizen Kane, was it a drag? It was a drag. It was a drag. But I mean, it also took me a long time to finally break down and watch the movie. See? I mean, was I impressed? Bless. You, Dylan. bless. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> D- Dylan's been hiding in the corner the whole time. I didn't hear you. So sorry. Us. Bless you. Dylan. Whole time. It's been beautiful. <laughs> Dylan is the stranger of the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> So yeah, Orson Welles. He's not a Nazi though. No, not a Nazi. No, no. Well, I don't know. He's kind of looks a little German there. I'm yeah. too chocolate to be a Nazi. <laughs> they didn't like my kind. Their music would say otherwise. I German chocolate, bro. They like that shit. Is that a real thing? Yeah, Ger- Germans love chocolate. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty it. positive Nazis didn't like black people. I mean, they liked you more. The- more than the. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyways, uh, I, but back to the movie. Yes. Oh, so, yeah, so it took me a while to see, like, Citizen Kane finally break down yeah. and watch it. 
Uh, we went to the Academy Museum for like the first time last year, and they had Rosebud on display. And I was like, wow, that's cool to actually see something, you know, from one of the greatest films of all time. But so it was like, I'm excited to see a part of like film history. Yeah. But I was like, after that, like, okay, you know, there's other things in here that. Yeah. It's like um, Orson Welles has become too mythical. He's a mythical figure on how he's been built up, especially his early Orson Welles. Yeah. The baggage is heavy on him. Yeah. Like to get into Orson Welles, oh, fuck, Citizen Kane. And you watch. You watch the open opening scene, perfectly executed, but a drag if you don't give a shit about movies. I feel the same way about Kurosawa, to be yeah. honest. It's it's like, man, I gotta watch Seven Samurai. That's the masterpiece, and it's three hours long. But, but so that's the thing, right? Like I when I started watching same thing with Kurosawa, I was always, you know, Seven Samurai. So you gotta find the film that more or less can be your entryway. Which is this is what the stranger is, mm-hmm. right? With Kurosawa, you wanna watch his wartime dramas. My best entry for Kurosawa, I found, was Yojimbo. That's a good one. Because, again, I like westerns, and that yeah. one feels so like, you know, the gunslinging western that Leone stole from, yeah. and Leone got sued for for stealing it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, like, for uh, Orson, it'd be The Stranger. It's digestible. It's shot like an Orson Welles movie. Long takes, lit to perfection. Lighting is important. The acting's always... On point. On point. They're also edited in a way that never feels um, never uh, feels cheap. He's never cutting away to nothing. Yeah. It, yeah. Every shot has a, a, a purpose. Mm-hmm. It's telling something. There's something in the scene that's always going on, at least inform you of the story. Like yeah. whether it's little backstory pieces or pushing it forward. And that's what The Stranger does well. And maybe that's because it was cut by the studio. Like it's that perfect, you know, mixture of, all right, Orson did this thing and now... We're going to find a way to make it digestible and not rip it up. It's not like David Lynch movies where the scene will just keep going oh. and going. And I'm you just like, Inland Empire. everything I love. Inland Empire. Okay, Inland Empire was a little that much. Was, we, we, I think I fell asleep twice during that showing. I know you fell asleep at one point during it. I well, tried didn't all three so... of you guys fall asleep? At one point, all three of us were asleep during <laughs> Inland Empire. I guess for people who don't know, so Inland Empire is a three-hour David Lynch film he shot on DV cam over, like, a year, right? It looks horrible in that 4K restoration. Oh, you can count the pixels on the screen. Dylan, we've made better-looking films. You can take pride in that. We've made better-looking films than David Lynch's (laughs) Inland Empire. Yeah? Terry Crews isn't in it, but we've made better-looking films. Oh, God. But, yeah, that movie is... If we're talking about a slog and a hard entry point, Inland Empire is the deep end of the David Lynch pool. That's like, hey, I don't really know how to swim yet, but I'm going to just, like, dive <laughs> off of a 30-foot, you know, Been board there. and go in. Yeah. Oh, oh, really? Oh, yeah. I think we all do that. Just hop in. Yeah, I, I could do this. Yeah, so, like, Citizen King would be that stranger's entry point. I would say the trial would be a middle point. I have not seen the trial yet, but I so want to. I, f- I found a copy one time in the worst quality ever, but I watched it. It's really good. Um, it's Anthony Perkins, right? It's probably his second or third best film. Uh, Anthony Perkins' second or best like performance. Wow, okay. Yeah, but like, it'd be right under Psycho 2 and Psycho. You like Psycho 2 over, well, for Perkins' performances, say, Performance, right? yeah, because yeah. it's, it's not just murderous Perkins. It's redemptive Perkins number two. Like, you see more of an arc, right? You see more of an arc. You get a trial in it. Uh-huh. You see uh, he, villainy come from a good person. Yeah, in the exactly. Movie. So, like, you you get to see more than just mama, mm-hmm. mother, mother. You get to see the real conflict of where he's gotten help and he he knows. goes back to the, the source of his trigger. Exactly. And it's like you know he's getting pushed, but you can see that he's really trying to resist and trying to be more human. Yeah. I told you, you gotta watch Psycho 2, Psych- Psycho 3, I think you Psycho might, 4. Okay, well, you can watch I, Psycho 2. I like how when she said Psycho 4, you recoiled in, in like, disgust. Psycho 3, you can, it's manageable, yeah. you know? But Psycho Psycho 2, I think I think Dean might like Psycho 2 more than Psycho 1, to be honest with you. I, I mean, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. I know I mean, you have all the movies. I, and I know Perkins directed one, right? I think so. I think he directed... Four? Four. Yeah, and that's probably after two. That's probably the best movie out of the the final. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll probably end up giving it a shot. You should. I think you might like two. It's more Dean Speed. I think. Yeah. 
It's also interesting to see everything in color. Yeah. I like how you're all like, it's more Dean speed. I'm like, is that a good or a bad thing? Yes. Yes. If I had come in here and been like, oh, we're going to watch uh, Magnificent Ambersons. Mm-hmm. It's not a Dean movie. I like Magnificent Ambersons. But he wouldn't be so... At- but Stranger, it has everything he wants. Thrills, detective, yeah, noir, yeah, drama. Yeah. I cl- mean, if someone had recommended this to me as like my first Orson Welles yeah. movie, you would have had me hooked for being an Orson fan. Yeah. I mean, because from here you can go to like Touch of Evil. I think that'd be a nice step up. Touch get- of Evil is, is a lot... It's like a lot more of this. Yeah. Yeah. And you get a, a brown, uh, brown-faced... Uh, Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston. Who we thank God every day doesn't didn't do his Mexican accent for the movie. No. Uh, could you imagine? Uh, could you imagine Charlton Heston getting no. canceled which in is, the year of our Lord? Which speaking, this this will correlate with Orson Welles. Orson wanted to cast more Mexicans in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, studio didn't want it, you know. Mm-hmm. But for a stranger. The detective role, and you see this in a, a bit in the beginning, the way it's cut, like the first ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, he wanted to the detective to be more a female. I heard about that. Yeah. Like he wanted to cast a, a woman director, or not a, a woman, woman detective. Detective. Yeah. He, he wanted to be me, or, Orson Welles would not <laughs> leave the director seat for no man or woman. But yeah, he uh, wanted to have a woman. And you see that in the beginning when you see the woman track following the uh, the wife of the detective right the wife of somebody yeah it's not clear on who it is but because they recut the first like 20 minutes or something like that to like truncate a lot of those two characters and make it way more vague yeah and you can tell orson's initial idea of having a woman be the detective is Mm -hmm. still there just by the way that scene shot like the way he was shooting her like oh she's gonna be a big reveal and Mm -hmm. to turn out oh she's gone yeah like oh my my wife is following her now don't worry and have the the script flipped where, you know, the man's being followed instead of the woman being yeah, followed. Yeah, exactly. And she's very confident, and you're like, well, what did this guy do? Yeah. And I, I think it's kind of smart the way that they started this movie where he just looks incredibly nervous, and he's repeating his story over yeah. and over, and you kind of get that anxiety of, like, they're going to catch him when he gets the border check. What's going to happen? And nope. Nope. The man who did him in was Orson, with, which is a crazy scene to watch, him strangling his like nazi friend especially when they get down you know kneel down to pray yeah and you know orson's just like yeah uh Mm uh-huh um body and christ and let me just strangle you to death quietly and she's like what in the scheme of you forget that that he murders because then he also poisons the dog yeah yeah so fucked yeah, like you forget he's a doctor Mm -hmm. and you forget he's a nazi until you start like he found finds a way throughout the movie to be like oh shit i forgot Mm-hmm. This dude's fucking evil. Yeah, it it is crazy how Orson Welles acts and the direction of the film to make you kind of be Hope. on his yeah, side. Yeah, you're, you're kind of hoping, yo. I hope this is all. Like, I remember the first time watching it, I was like, and that might just be like Orson as an actor, right? Mm-hmm. The charisma to make him likable off the bat. Mm-hmm. That even as this twisted character, you really want to believe. Oh no, he's just being set up. Like yeah. we're gonna find out in the end that it was all a setup. But no, he's Dude's evil. Dude's evil revealed to be a Nazi. It's kind of the thing with um, Vertigo, where if you lay out that movie, uh, Jimmy Stewart's character oh, yeah. is a, an obsessive, crazy person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's Jimmy Stewart, so you're like, eh, he's just in love. You know, he'll it'll be fine, guys. He's a retired detective. You know, he was protecting the yeah. people. He was protecting this woman. And then it's just... Protecting his heart. Oh, a his little heart. too much. Mm-hmm. Woman, change your hair, your clothes. <laughs> Like, no. Obsessive. You you say that, but you fucking love Vertigo. Because it's a beautiful movie. You called it one of the best romance stories like three episodes ago. I didn't say romance stories. One of the best films. In preparation, I kind of, while at work yesterday, I was listening to the last two months. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And you did say best romance. Did I? Yes. Wow. I got receipts, honey. (laughs) It's but, okay. You're yeah. still going to buy me lunch after this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think that's an interesting thing bringing it up is because Orson Welles is playing a evil human being. He's playing yeah. a Nazi, right? And you forget that throughout, whether it's the way he, you know, the way he wrote the story and the way he's acting, you always seem it always moves to the back of your head. And we never see him as a romantic lead, even though he's getting married, he's yeah. newlywed. We don't see this, you know, beautiful relationship mm. only to be tarnished by someone from his past yeah. coming. It's just 
hey, he's the happy, you know, school teacher. Happy go lucky, and he's he's manipulated this woman enough to mm-hmm. to where he he doesn't show love, but she shows him all the love in the world. Yeah, that alone, as soon as soon as we get like a hint of there, he she follows whatever he says. He can always say something to make her like, oh yes, dear. So there's it's a one sided love that shows you his way of manipulation. Like he knows how to manipulate people into doing mm-hmm. things they don't want to do, which again is you know what the nazis did goes back to his nazi roots exactly or he's just you know working her like a clock you know exactly i'm gonna tune you back and you know okay you, you talked a little bit too much nope we gotta bring you back mm-hmm. down a little bit i want to talk about her for a second because that's um loretta young yeah right she is really good in this movie oh yeah perfect and- I don't recognize her from a lot of other stuff. Is she, was she a big actress in the 40s, or was she one of these people that showed up a lot in, like, noir, B-pictures kind of thing? I think more – kind of like that. And I, you, you can tell, like, so, some of these uh, some of these castings were more or less, like, probably studio-safe. Mm-hmm. Studio – Edward G. Robinson exactly. is, a, is the big one here. Uh-huh. Safe studio pick. Uh, we're going to get, you know, a nice blonde studio pick. Not the Hitchcock blonde, but, you know. Not the Hitchcock blonde. But yeah. but a pretty blonde. A pretty blonde. Uh, that also has the thing where you got to shoot me from the left side. Popular of that era where, you know, it's in contract only from this side. So I, I made sure to make a note of that watching the movie. Like, oh, yeah, you, you, there see it a, is. you see a lot of her one left. side, one mm-hmm. side. I heard that um, Edward G. Robinson got pissy about it because he was like, no, that's my side. Yeah. You need to shoot me from my good side. Yeah. And they're like, well, Edward yeah. G. Robinson. Look in the mirror. We need to make sure she looks good. You, there's not much we can do. But Loretta Young, you know, we're shooting her from the good side. Yeah. And Robinson takes a beating in this movie. He does. Yeah. I think I was watching an interview with Orson where he's talking about it, and he said that she was less fearful than him to go up that ladder. Like he was apparently a big chicken bitch, and he had to convince her him by telling her, telling him about her being like she's not afraid of it. Yeah. Look at you. There's the one shot in the movie that I thought, oh, that's like a forced perspective. That's not no. like right. When she's literally like Orson Welles is picking her yeah, up no, off that's the real. ladder. Yeah. And it's like, that's a fucking 20 yeah. something foot did. drop. And he's just like, I got you, honey. I grew up in on a farm in Wisconsin. I, I got you, honey. Just goes to show you, he Orson, original Sigma male. <laughs> Orson on that Sigma male grind set, you know. <laughs> the top G. The the top W. You know, it's top W for top Wells. Wells. Top, top O. Top O. Yeah, and it being a Wells movie, you know, she knew they're going to be doing the scene over and over where, you know. Well, no, his first name was George, actually, now that I think about it. Was his first name Yeah, Orson's his middle name. His middle name is George? Yeah. Orson George Wells. That doesn't sound good. Nah. Why why do you think he just went with Orson Welles? Orson. But mm. even she was like, you know what? If we have to do this again, you better drop me on the next. Yeah. The next take, and they're like, okay, that's the that's the scene right there. We yeah. got it. So she knew. She's like, okay, I, I'm gonna you know go toe to toe with Orson, and it kind of helps if he's a Nazi I, in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think she was more going toe to toe with Edward G. Because Edward G. Robinson is at this time the bigger star. Yeah. Yeah, he had done Scarface at this point. He had done. He'd been like Little Caesar. He was a huge actor. And not only that, if you think about it, um, Orson's time in spotlight is only four years. You get Citizen Kane. You get. Um, he, he, War of the Worlds, yeah. Mm-hmm. Citizen Kane, and then he kind of starts fading away. His like big spotlight is kind of like this four year period because by the time he gets to Ambersons, the studio's already like, all right, we got to get him out of here. And that's the thing because he was really held on in Hollywood for so long because all of his movies were critically acclaimed. Yeah, but none of them like made money except Stranger, and it's like. Okay, after One Bite of the Apple, and it's like, okay, he won an Oscar. Okay, that's fine. But he didn't make any money. Okay, whatever. Then the second bite, and they're like, the the same thing. I think he would have just, they would have just kicked him to the curb at that point. And no, yes and no. Because they, they like the, 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 the idea man of Orson. Mm. The man that can captivate you. They don't like the Orson the director. Yeah. That's why, you know, we need a director on this movie with no budget. Oh, like Touch of Evil. Some of the later projects. Oh, let's get Orson here. He'll he'll do it for cheap just because he wants to direct. I mean, originally they wanted John Huston for this, but John Huston had I don't I don't even know what John Huston did besides this. I Act, probably acting. Yeah. Um, and then one of his films is like we keep bringing up um, Hitchcock, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got two dudes, totally different paths. You got Studio Man, 
Hitchy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big Hitchy. Big fat fella like Orson. <laughs> you made 50-something got... films because he pl- knew how to play ball. And guess what? Orson fucking hated every one of Hitchy's films. Mm-hmm. That's a, okay. I watched um, an interview with Quentin Tarantino, mm-hmm. and you would think, oh, Tarantino movie lover, whatever. He probably loves Hitchcock, yeah, and he, he fucking doesn't. hates the guy. I, their main complaint, it's too formulaic. I heard too formulaic. I heard that Hitchcock, he played so much ball with the studio that all the teeth is like pulled out of him yeah. in the third act and all that and all those things, which is kind of interesting because I think Hitchcock, I think most film people, critics just ordain him. Well, he's the best director because he made all these movies and they're all pretty and they are all. <laughs> they forget he, his last part of his career. Yeah. <laughs> what, the, the post birds part of yeah. his career. I, I think his first bad movie is the birds, by the way. I'm not a fan of the birds. I think if you compare it to his filmography, it's bad. But if it's just a hey, birds, it's a good movie. Yeah, it's I all right. it. yeah, it's, it's, a, it's all right. It's a little ridiculous. Yeah. You know, D- Dylan's real. a big fan of the birds. He has he plans to make a film called Rats. Oh, oh, I can't wait. I, can I be involved? Stay away. Stay away. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, is, is there anything else you wanted to hit on about uh, the stranger? The stranger. Which is a fucking great title, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the the one thing I'd like to mention is that, like, you can't get into Orson Welles with any other movie but this. This is the only entry point. And that's why I've kind of learned watching movies now. You you can't start people on Lynch with Eraserhead? Yeah, you sometimes the best way... <laughs> really? I mean... <laughs> really? Oh, hey, hey, I, I really liked Eraserhead, you know, and you were not a fan. You know, Alex... Watched Eraserhead High. That's my and favorite he couldn't story watch ever. It. He couldn't watch it for like five years. Yeah, he was too scared to watch it. Cause he ate. What was it? It was like a. It was like a big edible. Yeah, it was like, like a five hundred milligram yeah. edible. And then he watched Eraserhead. But like, I'm on this campaign, right? To get you know respect on Orson's name again. Mm. Doing that is like you got to pick the right films to introduce people to. Citizen Kane's too mythical to just throw people in. It's like having people learn about. Greek mythology, and you give them the Odyssey. Yeah, you can't give them this the big epic work first. Give no. them Oedipus. Exactly. You know, something's dramatic. It's digestible. Exactly. Easy to read. You know, nothing to like. What the fuck are they talking about? Because I think that's the main issue. That's why I picked Stranger. I'm like, we can talk about any Orson film, any Kurosawa film, but I think the Stranger easy. It's a thriller. It's a noir. It feels modern by the way it's cut. It doesn't feel slow. The formula is tried and true, tried and it's and not true. hard to follow. Good paced, well paced. It never feels slow. You also feel like you're in that Connecticut town too. Exactly. And you know, if and then the political side of it, Nazis can be anywhere. Mm-hmm. They're hidden under us, and that you know, more or less, has become more modern again. Yeah. The idea that there's a Nazi or fascist undertones fascist. around exactly. us. exactly. And so I think, ironically, his least talked about film is a little more relevant in the style it's shot, the way it's told. And then he somehow, politically, it became relevant again. <laughs> but this is the perfect film for anyone to get into him. And from there, I can you, you go Stranger, Touch of Evil, and then you got you can branch off from there. And then you can also go into a Shakespeare work. It's Othello, yeah. um, Chimes at Midnight, Macbeth. It's... You got to kind of get used to Orson before you can see his best works. Mm. Lay down the foundation. Exactly, because Citizen Kane, it's it's every movie you've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's boring because people have done it more exciting now. You're used to the tropes. Yeah. Like you said earlier, you start recognizing more things and, oh, this is where it comes from. And it's in black and white. Well, I mean, I love black and white movies, so but that doesn't A lot of people... It. Got to get through that hurdle. Mm-hmm. It's that initial hurdle of it's in black and white. Yeah. Not only is it in black and white, it's a lot of talking. Mm-hmm. Not only is it a lot of talking, it's not a lot of yelling. Maybe a musical number here and there where Orson is bringing the band and the and the chichis. <laughs> yeah. So what would you rate this film, Dean? What the stranger? Yeah. Oh, it it exceeded my expectations. Um. Because Dean's very critical when it comes to rating things. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I'd like I, to know. Yeah. Actually, very, wait, 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 Dean. Let me about go. These. Let me ask yeah. Becky. Okay. Yeah. Give me your rating and your, your final thoughts. I'd give it an eight. Okay. Yeah. Found it very compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't know what I was walking into, but it had me hooked. I yes. mean, when, when you have a Nazi hiding in the United States, marrying, you know, someone of an established family that's connected to the government. Yeah. You know, there's going to be some issues, but just to see the switch of his character and who he goes back to prior to entering the States, yeah. it's just, 
astounding. That is so ingrained in his character that he can't be this happy husband. He's, no. He is this sadistic man. It's just a mask. Yeah. A mask that he found a way to put on, but it slowly keeps slipping off again. Yeah. I, I think I would agree with you. I, I think because I, I'm, I'm not even lying. A, I'm waiting for 6.2, but that's no, good, guys. No, 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 because no, I, I did mine out of five. Mine was like four out of five. I really did enjoy it. We usually go out of ten. Okay, so eight out of ten. Uh, he was he was so mad that he's like, damn it, Becky picked all those parts. Like, oh, god damn it. Okay, but I, I do have one thing about the movie that well, it's I not really a, liked. Okay, all I right. thought you something you want to nitpick. I'd be like, well, you did say four out of five. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, it, like my only nitpick about the movie is you can tell it's a compromised Wells vision. But the thing is, it's like it does make it more digestible. I yeah, do agree with you exactly. on that. Exactly. But the thing that I found so compelling about it and why I liked it so much is because everything about it feels like, oh, this is like a B-picture noir thriller, right? Mm-hmm. But because Wells has such... Um, respect for the craft master because wells has such respect and mastery the... <laughs> jesus christ he has such respect and mastery for the craft it really does elevate it it doesn't yeah. feel like a cheap b picture it feels like oh no this is like a great director working like within his means but everything feels so much bigger yeah. the clock tower set looks so much more expensive than it probably yeah. like actually was the acting feels like this isn't like the killing or something where it's like oh it's it's populated by you know b hollywood actors this is like no this is like an a-list cast right here yeah it it feels so much bigger than it is and i think that just goes to wells as a director to squeeze every dime out of his budget he could um but yeah i would give it an eight out of ten my only complaint is that it feels it feels compromised yeah It, it does it feels like i'm missing like Amber, since I'm missing 20 minutes of of Wells's like setup and, and, and expression. <laughs> yeah, here. I agree. It's like a four out of five. Mm. It's not his best picture. It's not his worst. No, that trust me. I've <laughs> I've seen his worst. Oh, oh, what is what is his worst? Um, I would say it's. Uh, He's gonna say chimes at oh, midnight no, chi- and get canceled no, tomorrow. Chi- chimes is up there. Chimes is up there. Um, a mortal story. Oh, if, that was uh, like his last movie, right? Of his completed works, yeah. Immortal Story. It's like a 50-minute feature. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's you know, one of those like Shakespeare retellings he likes to do. He acts in it. He's a big fat man that tries to get a young couple to fuck for him. Jesus. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a little problematic. Um, I would imagine this was made for like French television. Oh, that yeah, sounds no, like no, a French yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Primetime. A, a, lot of his, um, a lot of his weird film, like those films... Like I was saying, funded by a European country with their cultural fund, mm-hmm. like for their TV. Yeah, because I know he – it's really weird to think, oh, Orson Welles, the great director. I'm like, his the last 20 years of his career was just directing TV episodes. Yeah, The Trial is a TV movie. It's cool. one of the first, you know, TV movies. <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah. Um, and it, it adapts Kafka, one of the hardest things to adapt. It's also really hard to read. I read The Trial, like, not too long ago. That, that book is dense. Yeah, and next time I come back on – I'm going to bring a copy of the trial and good quality people. Good All quality. Right. All right. We're game. Because it's weird. Like, The Strangers is in public domain. So you can find a nice quality. It won't be a restoration. Yeah. I found mine on YouTube. Is that where you found yours? Yeah. I watched mine on YouTube. It's also available on Tubi. So on t- Yeah. Uh, it was on Netflix, like, two years ago. And that's the best quality print I've seen. It's You know, it's Netflix. And whoever was distributing that public domain movie at that point had a good print. But yeah, there's no like 4K restoration. There's no Criterion of it. I'm surprised Criterion doesn't have like a Wells collection because they have Kane and Amber so, Sins. They Those got to be the hardest ones to actually get a hold of. That and F is for fake. Kane, Amber Sins, F is for fake, Othello. They don't have Macbeth. Macbeth. There's no Macbeth. They have Chimes at Midnight. Chimes at Midnight. Mr. Cardin. A Mortal Story. I might be forgetting it. I mean, but I have only, them all. The guy only made like 10 movies. I'm surprised they don't just get... The Stranger's Public Domain, for God's sakes. They don't have to pay anybody for it. They should rip a copy oh, touch off of, of evil. You. Touch I, of Evil. Do they have Touch of Evil? I thought that was... Mm, um, actually, no. You're right. No, I just have Touch of Evil. That's it. <laughs> Everybody's got to have a little Touch of Evil in their <laughs> life. But yeah, that, it's wild to me that we don't have like good copies of like The Trial or The Stranger because those ones seem like wouldn't be that hard to get the rights to at this point. I don't think anyone ever expected Orson Films to do well, mm-hmm. so there's no reason for them to keep all that footage and storage. Yeah. I mean, that, that's why 
you can't find those minutes of Ambersons anymore. They got rid of him completely. Yeah, they. I think the what is it? they burned all the negatives supposedly, just to piss him off. Supposedly, but they more or less were probably lost in one of those, um, you know, film fires they've had. Mm. Like studios don't really just burn shit. They they kept them all, but when when there's a fire, then they actually burned. And so, but yeah, so that was Orson Welles's The Stranger. Yeah, everybody say Stranger dramatically. The Stranger. The Stranger. The Stranger. <laughs> The stranger, the stranger, but um, yeah. So, Brandon, uh, any any final thought on the movie before we we do the wrap up here? Oh, the wrap up. It's digestible. It's easy. It's on YouTube, so anyone can watch it. And I honestly, I'd recommend it. Period. If you want, like, just some. Oh, what's old? What's an old movie I can watch? Throw on. I really enjoyed it. I'd give it two thumbs up. Same here. Oh, same here. Go give it a watch. Go give it a watch. But uh. Tell us, Dean, what's on for next week? Oh, oh, well, well, uh, uh, so Miss Boo, what's on for next week? Oh, next week is just regular scheduling. Thanks, Brandon. Uh -um. (laughs) All right, everybody. So that is uh, the film club. Where can they go if they wanted to listen to more of these episodes? Well, if you want to listen to us on a different platform than you currently are, you can find us on Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Yeah, Dean, don't eat the equipment. And Mm. YouTube. Yeah, you can go to our YouTube channel, The Film Vault. That's The Film Vault on YouTube. If you want to see the lovely slideshows I do of this podcast, you can go there. <laughs> Comment, subscribe, do whatever you want there. But if they want to follow us on social media, where can they go? They can find us on Instagram at The Film Club Podcast, where we post trivia, upcoming episodes, daily stories. And Brandon, if they want to find you on Instagram, where can they find you? They can find me on Instagram at Brandon Wally BV on Instagram and 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 only there. All right. What, what about you, Dylan? Dylan, you want to plug anything? In dot o persona. Um, bad Apple. Yeah, Bad, bad Apple TV. Uh, two underscores. Yeah, that's yeah. usually the two. Yeah, we'll tag them in the post for this episode. But before we go, just curious, <laughs> Brandon, what's your favorite movie? Favorite movie? Oh Jesus Christ! Um, just to see the range, because the stranger was, you know, knocked it out of the park. Oh jeez, this is gonna. Because people I, know ours. So. Yeah, we rambled about so them. The Stranger, you see, you see one end. You guys ready for the, my favorite movie? It's on the other end. Okay, uh, <laughs> I'm excited. Man of Steel. Okay. What? I right. I always thought that I always thought that was a fucking meme. Because no, you said no. Man of Steel for a while, and I thought you were always bullshit. That's a really good movie. It is. I like Man of Steel. I'll come good? on when you guys talk about it. Oh, and oh, I will. Well, I will. We, I will talk the gospel of the Snyder. Well, I think we've already done Man of Steel. What about no, Justice we did League? Superman. We didn't do Man of Steel. Ooh, okay. We'll, we'll okay. have to do Man If of we Steel. do the Snack Snyder cut of Justice League, Dylan will, will also preach the gospel of <laughs> Snyder. I wake Brandon up with, like, random text messages, just, like, all from, like, Dark Side's, like, dialogue from the movie. <laughs> so, so, Dylan, your favorite movie is uh, the Snyder cut of Justice League? No, it's actually Rec Room for a Dream. The dichotomy of man we have in front of us. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody. Have a good week. We'll see you next week at the film club. I'll be your saying. Peace.